and welcome to the last episode of season one of the podcast. I have saved a real treat of a guest for the last episode. I chat to Anna Kerrin of Karna London. Anna truly has sent tidal waves through the world of functional ceramics, launching her brand in 2012. We talk about the start of the brand and how Serendipity played its role in the direction of Karna, which launched in 2012. A huge highlight running the shop for me was working with Anna on the land range we did at Caro. She has a real following and I remember our customers regularly coming in to acquire a new piece to add to their collection. Not only has she now successfully moved into drawing and furniture making, her talent has lent itself to filmmaking photography and she is hosting retreats set in very chic Sicilian and Italian destinations. She has such grace to everything she does and I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast Anna Kerrin. So are you traveling with work a lot at the moment or are you traveling socially? Um, a bit of both. It's been a lot of work related um, travel, but I have also I have also decided that I want to have like a proper summer this year. I haven't done that yeah. for like 10 years probably. I thought I'm going to have a sabbatical last year. So with, with the sabbatical, do you want to do nothing or do you want to explore something completely new just for you? Like what's a sabbatical for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I was asking myself that. It came all from knowing that I'm going to go through this massive studio shift and studio change. And I thought, okay, when I'm going to power through that, which was last year, early last year, but it took over like six months. It was physically emotionally and mentally the most exhausting thing ever and really? I thought okay after that I want to give myself a sabbatical which is gonna be kind of filling my cup with everything that I haven't had a chance to do like the list of things I wanted to do but I couldn't because I was tied to the space to um constant deadlines um and a lot of extremely exciting projects. But I think one of my biggest realizations was that Kana have turned into, there was like a moment when I realized that basically I am only responding, not the things are not coming out of me anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. only responding to they're coming my way. And this sounds mm-hmm. such a like privileged position in in so many ways because it obviously speaks to the fact that I had like lots of demand but not many projects within that were allowing me to do a very crazy process anymore there was very little of left of like me actually being able to do or even within the ones that I was able to be more creative they were still a respond first um, mm-hmm. and I was very down on what I was able to do within that window. And the mm. problem became as of like saturation of that. And then the amount of years I was in that kind of way of working. And it, it became like, um, it became like dra- draining in so many ways because, um, that's not how naturally I work and it's not was not aligned with my energy levels. And I wanted yeah. to kind of escape this, that like my work is some, it's just something on someone else's to-do list or like, yeah, just like responding all the time. Yeah, and like I wanted to definitely have a break, but also I was on, on having a chance to like do things spontaneously was just not an option for so long. And choosing things, you know, like last minute trips, everything I had to like plan for so long in advance, working around the deadlines and the team. And I felt like I constantly lived life already, like the, the whole year was kind of like already done in my head. Um, yeah, in the which, diary. <laughs> yeah, it was like the amount of like projects I had lined up in front of me and they were so long because the lead up times are long um but because mm. i had to like kind of like manage all of these timelines 
um, I felt like my whole life was already like written in front of me and lived out like um, and that was like the kind of like essential reason why I needed the sense of sabbatical and but then it kind of didn't plan out the way I wanted for various reasons first of all (laughs) the studio move took so much longer than I thought and all the admin associated with it and it actually ended up being like right. five moves, uh, moving like wow. into the storage as temporary uh, studio, temporary storage, long term. Like it just became like this like dragged out operation plus all the admin around it. Um, but also because I realized that it takes you so much longer to step out of waking up and just like not thinking just about your stuff that you have to do. It's like a really yeah, long period exactly. of time that you like, actually need to allow yourself to start to, to have... It took me, I don't know, a year that I woke up and was not the first thing I thought about something related with the studio. You need that, so that pause think, and that space for you to have creative feeling and energy and yeah. to get to know you again. And that takes a long time, yeah. So much longer than I thought. Now with 18 months, at least that it's passed, I feel that I'm only now like learning new patterns or like having space and time for new patterns to be formed. And I think I'm only now ready for actually sabbatical. So this is also was like quite interesting. <laughs> I think the most biggest kind of realization was that I needed to start that process to be able to realize what I actually need and what needs to be changing. Because also when you are in in it, in the eye of the storm, like I knew for a long time what I want to change, and but I wasn't quite aware of how many things I'm gonna have is gonna have to be undone for me to be able to do that. It takes much more undoing the whole life. But the essence for me was that like the balance of my studio practice have have tipped the other way around. It was completely out of balance because my studio practice was like always sculpture and painting and the ceramic aspect was like 2%, you know, um, not even 10%. It was like 2%. So... When wow. that, the way how it started was like that people would be coming to visit my studio and to see my artworks and my sculpture, my process. Um, I was doing also a lot of etching. So it was like always this interlink between the etchings, the work on paper um, and the sculptures. And I worked with clay within the sculpture concept context. Um, and I, was, mm. I would make like small like cups or bowls to be used in the studio so when someone came for a studio visit would get like a cup of coffee or a tea or something and would drink it from my cup but then they would see how that piece responds and speaks the same language as a sculpture or speaks the same language as like the way that the texture is treated and the way it's glazed because I was experimenting on them um with the glazes how the pigments work on the paper how the etchings the drawings the charcoal and there was like a link in between but when they they had it in their hands they were like oh now i want that as well so i was like no this is just my studio cup (laughs) this is just experiment yeah and it I was like, no, 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 like, this is not for sale. Um, I think it became really funny because I was, like, at the beginning quite, like, confused about, like, why people would want them. Um, but then mm. I will, I accept I embraced it. I thought it was, like, cute in many ways because it made me realize something um, about that I like to, exp- I was, I loved exploring within my sculpture work anyway. And it's how the sculptures or like how the artworks, when they come out of gallery spaces, how they actually live in people's houses. Or I experienced it mm, first mm-hmm. through my, my mom's house and my house. 
at my friends' houses because we needed to bring all this stuff back from the studios home. Like you're constantly running out of storage and you put things into mom's terrace and garden and your friends' houses and then they become like door stoppers and coat hangers mm. and, you know... <laughs> One day, this like precious object on the plinth in a gallery show, but then you have to fucking dis disassemble this, the show and you have to bring everything somewhere. And it becomes like part of your living environment. And I have sculptures that like my cats at home, like the cat sleeps in a lap of one of the sculptures. It's her like armchair and it's it's her spot. Um, it's her armchair and it's it's funny like it made me always think about that how it's not the same relationship you have with those pieces once they become yours so this small object that I made from ceramics and were functional were for me an extension of that exploration of like how things can be tactile and lived with and experienced with and where is it that blurry line between fine art and functional pieces and the objects mm. that you live with right how do you interact with them yeah and you should interact with them because you live with them so they should be part of your life to enrich it mm. it's really interesting that you say that how you started your studio wasn't exactly how you planned it and I wonder you know do you reflect back and think god it was my community or the people that wanted to buy my things that almost created where your studio went do you feel that that was the way you sort of got into this tumbleweed where okay this is the this is the path we're on this is what people want so off I go I was reflecting on that quite a bit actually um I think it was a time and place historically actually now speaking because there was a moment that I feel like I was really lucky that I was part of that moment in so many ways but if you think about 15 years ago the the landscape of um, homeware and craft and the relationship with handmade was very different um, and there was mm. a lot of appreciation for going to Ikea or buying stuff from Vitra like the design elements things being like made factory made were actually like really appreciated which it's fine but there was not really on the market the maker the way that we have it now for the last mm. not even 10 years like, no you were definitely a pioneer like a, in in the the handmade and there was like people that i saw on other different parts of the world which i have to be honest that's where instagram actually helped us understand that there are other people who are thinking similar to you that are like doing mm. that same thing um and there were people around the world but before it was really and my work was not understood like me playing with going to functional stuff but with the aesthetic of um how my sculptures were made um people were taking the piece in the beginning they were like oh this is like a child would make on a pottery at school, this texture, you can eat from a plate like this. It was not appreciated in the beginning. So I think for me it was almost, I have a lot to, talk, to say actually about that. It's quite like um, important chapter for me because I think there was something really, really fantastic and amazing to be part of that because it made people start. My idea of the Kana was we created a brand away from my name as an artist was that I didn't want to mix the two because it was confusing for me. But also I felt like I have that relationship with the tactile materials and understanding. And I wanted to bring people back to the understanding of materials and the materials that you should bring into your homes. It was my way of trying to bring an aspect into sustainability at a time when no one spoke about it in that way at all. But for mm -hmm. me... I had like a different knowledge because I was working a lot at the fair trade project at the time that before when before fair trade became what it is now, it was like the birth of the fair trade. And I was working as a consultant on developing products made in West Africa. And it was really interesting because it made me understand that there there is this incredible knowledge that we have, but it's mostly in places that it's not accessible for people and it's not cool. So someone has to make it cool and artists are good at making things cool and desirable. So I said like, we have a power here. Like I have a power to make something cool 
which is going to bring people to appreciate the craft. And that's what kind of brought back the rebirth of relationship of people appreciating the pottery and then everyone became a potter. But it was the same also with glass and with, with woodwork. There was like um, parallel happening between wood carving and ceramics. And then it later followed up also with the glass as a third material and then all the others. But it was really something that I was consciously really aware because of working in the NGO projects about of the sustainability element of it. And I was like, We're, we mm-hmm. need to not, like we need to make sure that these skills are not dying, that someone has to preserve them. But also, if you invest in pieces that are made by human hands and by the craft and skill and love and the understanding, which is where I think the add-on value of the art really helps, then you're investing into something that has so much value that you're going to preserve it. You're going to want to take care of it and you're going to be happy with less object in your home than more. You're not going to need to buy into the pieces the way that you are buying, people were buying into fashion. It's not about seasons. It's not about spring, autumn, winter. It's just like, and you can be happy with like a couple of pieces. And that's what it started happening. People were coming, I was selling stuff on the market. And that's where I think I was in a lucky place in the right moment, the right time, because the same time when there was like very little understanding and appreciation from majority, there were people around me who were artists and designers and stylists and art directors who saw my work and were like, wow, this is different. I resonate with that. It speaks everything from from Japanese to African to these. There's something so ancient and so contemporary at once. And they could see the link between the sculpture and painting in the work. And they were the ones that first commissioned my pieces. Um, and mm. slowly it kind of like seeping into the food stylings and into the magazine and cookbooks and it became kind of like in the public eye and that's where it became then like a trend setting thing and making it cool so people would want to mm-hmm. have something like that um and it was about that like rather appreciate buy a few pieces but invest into the pieces that you're gonna like they're gonna elevate your your experience they're gonna elevate your life so it's worth spending more money on them it doesn't need to be a four pounds mm. you should think about things you're bringing into your space what would you want to leave behind you almost like as what would be on your inheritance list it's quite extreme in a way but like what would you really want that would be like <laughs> your collection of things that would be your inheritance what would people see that you have mm-hmm. left behind a sort of blueprint of you as a person mm-hmm. i find it really interesting because the the story and the narrative of buy less and spend more money on on less is something we hear yeah. about all the time now but what's brilliant is that you're bringing us back to 15 years ago when that narrative was not really heard so no. what's fascinating is that you were explaining to us 15 years that whole 15 year journey and that the start of that seed it was rooted in sustainability skill and creativity you have such a strong sense of self in your work where does that come from um yeah this is a perfect question Natalie to follow up on what you just said because I think um what you just summed up it's possible to see now on reflection right that's where we are now after 15 Mm. years but also on this reflection is where I can see so much better that like I always had a very strong moral and ethical values and all of this how I created this language and what I wanted to talk about and why why I was preaching about um, work the way I just explained was I think all connected with the sense that I grew up in a very specific environment um, I was born in former Yugoslavia and then I grew up in an independent Slovenia after the war. Um, I was very lucky that I was, Slovenia was really on the outskirts of war. It didn't, the main part, like the main, um, not how to say that. We were the first ones to separate and it was like much less direct combat there than in the rest of Yugoslavia. We had obviously all of the waves of 
um, immigration and all the other problems. Like it was still one country that was falling apart. So of course it was all really affecting all of us. But when it comes to my very strong belief system, I think it's coming from the fact that I grew up on socialist values. And I can see that now so, so clearly, like the longer I'm away from it. And also living in UK for 12 years, start like seeing highlighted the differences between your home country and the place you are in. Mm. And even that Yugoslavia have broken apart when I was five, six years old. And there was a long process afterward. This is not the change that happens over the night, right? Like the, the way that people have preserved the knowledge and the way that the relationship with objects and um, dialogue, ideology didn't just die over the night. So I was growing up very strongly in the era that was... Um, really significant in so many ways because there was also this transition from um, socialism into and it's like the changeover when the capitalism started coming in. And I think that's mm-hmm. where I have so much of my knowledge. Like I grew up in the place where the connection with the land was so strong, the connection with the ancestral knowledge, the knowledge of um, the nature, the the skills everyone had hands-on skills and the the beauty of understanding of like mending your things the materials the source resources were so precious because the Mm. the borders were closed there was no importing it was only what was produced within the country and there was a very specific color palette (laughs) there were things that were just like you wouldn't see them i remember Mm. having like a soft spot on like really bright colors i think because of that because the color palettes were different and yeah that's definitely on reflection i can see that it's all coming from like the very specific environment where i grew up in um and i'm really really grateful for that and i feel that um it's it's something that makes me see things very differently even like changes that are happening now and almost i felt I wanted to be like a guardian in a way of things that were dying out. I'm curious how your family receive your work and what they think of your work. Um, my whole family is back in Slovenia still. Um, so as part of former Yugoslavia, um, we were all on like the most um, northwest side of it. And yeah, I go often home. I mean depends on like I needed at some point to kind of like travel home less to travel to other places there's always this balance you have to find how do you divide your time and you need to kind of like I think at some point separate yourself a bit from it um I definitely needed that but I'm becoming more and more homesick of certain things like especially central European summer um sometimes also winter like just the seasons I think I miss the seasons a lot. But yeah, my family, mm. it's still there. My mom works, runs Red Cross in Ljubljana on a kind of like national level, I guess. And she was part of like other NGO humanitarian organizations and co-founder of some of them. And mm. a lot of the network of my family friends were all within the art and culture or NGOs um, related with environmental sustainability communitarian rights um so i've been always like strongly influenced with this and that's where i mm-hmm. also kind of felt always that like i struggled with being a full-time artist at the time because i felt that i needed to find the balance to make it morally justifiable from what you've said about family values and connecting to the land and your heritage I feel that that is so integral to all of your work but also the prolific nature to what you're doing outside of ceramics I mean I know that Kana is has moved on and you now make furniture and you have retreats and there's so much going on but if I could just talk about the short film that you made it's so beautiful and now Nis describe it as a poetic thought piece which is just the perfect description for it I'd love to know how this came about what inspired you and how that film actually came to be made yeah um the film was made with Jan Verhoening 
who is my partner. Mm. He is director and director of photography. He's also Slovenian and lives in London. Yeah, we work together quite a lot because we're firstly very good friends. And there was, I, I guess there was always like a very special relationship when it comes to like creative exchange between us. We always have conversations about ideas and I'm the one that usually puts them into words and creates sort of like a storyline or narrative with him. I love storytelling in many different ways. So um, it's something that gives me a lot of like, yeah, joy and excitement. So I really enjoy working with him in that way because I feel his side of the job, it's has so many technical aspects as well that like I understand nothing about and I'm not even interested in knowing because it's, it's overwhelming for me. Um, <laughs> where I think that it's really interesting is like I really solidly stay in the analog world and he is in the, the other side where I know very little about and understand and we meet kind of like in between um, and I find it really interesting to research into the narratives and research into the subjects and it's not always just about the story but it's also and the message but it's also like kind of like finding the context for it so we've done quite a few projects together and for the DISO one was in a way there was a collection I was working on within Kana Studio that I wanted to launch for a long time and I worked on it as a co collaboration with a friend Maria and her brand at the time called Copson and I wanted to like bring our values together the values of hers and she is Calabrian and the values of mine as ex-Yugoslavian um, and they were talking of the same language it was talking about the beauty of the simplicity and the, be the beauty of like the real life so mm -hmm. there was there were the pieces that I was like working on um, where I was collecting the visual imprints what reminded me of home and what reminded me of the beauty of kind of like a really simple poor man's materials as well but how they create a very specific aesthetic so there was like specific techniques that they would use when they would be building such as like terrazzo that now it's like really fancy but at the time it was poor man's marble um it was usually made from like all the leftover rubbish of building materials that were poured together and then polished and it came up with these beautiful colors of the pebbles um so i wanted to like bring together like lots of different elements from the terracotta to the stone to the terrazzo to the stories of like marbling the the things that reminded me of what yugoslavia had and how it appreciated materials as well mm -hmm. as like how how you see them when you experience them there because you don't see them for the poorness of it you see them for the elaborated life you live and like how much joy it is and in those tomatoes that you grow yourself and have so much flavor um and this is yeah. where me and maria really resonated with what she was about as being having a Calabrian heritage. This is where I started working then on the story with Jan for the film. And the film would be kind of like a standalone piece alongside also speaking about the project. So they are sneakily used pieces inside of the collection. Um, so in a way, one thing converted the other. Like there was the idea of the film, but there was also the project that kind of like made it to be ready to be born then. So the story was like half written in advance because it was about the the moral of the story, I guess. And then the rest of the story was written when we started interviewing the locals and we found a guy who I really connected with. He was full of these like philosophical musings and he had like a very interesting story. We created like a really special bond and started creating together a piece. So it was about him, but it was also about the place where he lives and what does it mean to have that still preserved the way it is. I really love working between different mediums because for me it gets quite frustrating to be stuck on one material and going into film it's such a crazy experience for me because it's such a long process and 
there's so many people involved. There's nothing that you can do on your own. There's going to be like, it takes a year, two years before it comes out. And it's like liberating to work in this way. It's also frustrating. It's really hard to have the stamina to push through. Um, but I do really, really love that you can say the story in a way that like it's visual and like it hits people in a different way. I'm really, really proud of what we've done with that project and also with the latest one that Jan just released. It's called Ada. It's a story about his grandfather. It strikes the perfect balance of feeling like it's a documentary, but also a romantic drama. It, it's just lovely. I also feel that observation is such a key part of all the work and bringing together all the materials and media that you work in observation seems to be a thread in all your work and actually now that you're doing retreats it's like you're bringing together all this observation and allowing other people to come and immerse themselves in sort of what what you've observed over the last 15 or your whole life really tell me a bit about how your retreats were born yeah that's such an interesting um reflection to hear from you because yeah it does make sense i think they were born from my my point of view they were born that i always enjoyed teaching and hosting especially hosting teaching came later that was interesting for me to figure out how can i bring all of these experiences that i like to provide to people into one place i realized that when you teach classes as like an evening course or a weekend course, they they have a limited reach into how much you can actually give to people. And don't get me wrong, I think they're really important. There was this famous article that came out aligned with what we were saying earlier about this like whole new era and movement uh, when they said um, poetry is a new yoga. <laughs> it was like, um, and it's true. I think there is something in in making doing art classes as a evening activity or weekend activity that is very similar to meditation and it's beautiful it has its place and it has mm-hmm. its function but for me it became in a way as a as a facilitator it became not enough so i had the need to be able to kind of like work with people on take them away from their everyday life because what happens when you come to the class after work is that like you have your head full of whatever happened that day and what you're returning to when you come home Mm. and i really struggle to get really people's attention even that like they are present and they are doing it but in reality there is like it's on a different level how much they can actually absorb because Mm-hmm. I'm sure you have like we have all experienced how someone tells you this like a great wisdom, but you can you don't have at the t- at the same time like the mo the the capacity to understand it, and then you can only like understand it years later. And I felt a bit like that that there was much more potential in using the creative classes as like um, a tool on like self reflection. So for me, definitely, what I really love is that like you are emerging yourself into an indulgence in so many ways like you are much more rested you you're much more open you're connecting with other people and nature i for me it's really important to orchestrate like take control of so many of the details like especially if i can bring in like really delicious food and the nourishment of the soul, working with your body with like very grounding techniques, because the working within art, you work with your with your body the whole time. So it makes sense that while you're working with your body, some you have to also work on your body, right? So that's why for me really mm-hmm. important to have some sort of body work there, whether it's breath work, whether it's yoga, whether it's massages, like something that kind of like grounds you while you're using your body as a tool. But really importantly is that I create all of these elements and really what happens is people have space to use them to like reflect on where they are with their own values about their own life and what they want to do. And it becomes like a much bigger and more profound tool. And that's where, what was the main reason was that I saw the potential of it, that I know what happens to me each time when I go through that cycle and why creating art 
creating work, it's so important and it's something mm. that the world needs because we are processing constantly in a way what's happening in the world. So you can use it as a tool on yourself as well. And it's incredible how much effect it has when people take a, a week for it because you disconnect from all the expectations and you disconnect from the pressure of like, and you go into this process where you allow yourself to be playful, to allow yourself to fail. You see how that feels and then you can come back to it again and there is an excitement and exploration and you see the, um, the progress. When, when it's something is like an hour and a half or two hours, it's very limited how much of this cycle can happen. And in the way it stays so super, superficial on the surface, and I'm not very good with superficial and on the surface. <laughs> it becomes so much more of a sort of deep, enriching experience. And it makes complete sense because, you know, being an artist is so much about thinking and what you're trying to creatively express and your thought patterns. And there's a conversation between what you're making with your hands and your mind, and also how much your mind is having a relationship with its body. So, it makes complete sense that your retreats are working on on everything as one so that there's this dialogue at the end of it and I bet it's so interesting to see somebody day one and then see what they're like day seven and 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 their sort of journey through the week have you found that an interesting process sort of getting to know how each of your guests respond I get really excited each time about going to it and meeting the people who are going to come. Seriously excited. <laughs> everyone comes for a different reason and everyone is so different and everyone's journey is completely different. But it's really incredible to be there as part of it. And I've seen so many incredible changes and Sometimes they are like very visible straight away. Sometimes they are something that like happens like quietly below the surface or as a reflection afterwards. Mm -hmm. It's not, it doesn't, it, things don't need to be loud, right? To be powerful. I really enjoy it for that reason because it's, it's never the way you expect it to be as well. So um, I have like my ways of how I prepare myself. Like I do send out like really long questionnaire extensive questionnaire where I try to tap a little bit into where someone is in their life just to be able to kind of understand whether they need more of like surrendering or whether they need more of like standing up for themselves whether they're gonna need what kind of support they're gonna need because we all function differently and depends what we are going through sometimes we need more the encouragement and sometimes we need a challenge right it's mm -hmm. not that like mm -hmm. one right the other one and it's not so I think that's really important for me that I, I'm there for mm. that process for them. I'm conscious that I'm taking up a lot of your time. So I just one one more question, um, which is maybe a big one and maybe there isn't an answer. But it's really interesting how we've talked about things 15 years ago and that journey to now. And I feel like there's... A conversation within the creative industries that might be happening move you've you've sort of touched on a, a new area do you see a changing moment within the creative industries at the moment how do you see the horizon in all the sectors coming together or a particular sector there's like multi-layers i don't think i can touch on like all of the aspects of what i'm thinking so yeah it can be definitely it's complete own podcast and a question but I, the one thing that i would maybe highlight is that it's going to be like a two-sided answer one half of it is that i think that kind of like what i created and the legacy that i kind of like have have realized that i have created all these seeds for example, and I'm not the only one, right? They're out there now. They're doing their own thing. And in a way, the purpose of what my work was at the time, it's not the same anymore. So this is one of the reasons that makes me be at peace, why I can kind of like retrive away from what kind of work was because I have created the butterfly effect. And again, it was not just me. There was like a lot of us, but that butterfly effect has its own life and there are all those people out there. So what I think that 
on the other hand is happening so i'm like now feel like i have permission to return back to my roots and just focus on my work and maybe empowering people in different ways so i'm going to be focusing on that but in a way that symbolizes the same cycle i see for the world so i feel that there's going to be a big death of the big brands um think that there's just no space for that kind of structure anymore and I don't know whether that's going to kind of um, ripple through the world in the way that like there's going to be the death of institutions, inst- countries, um, structures at the large in that sense, because it could, we, I don't know, I feel like the, it feels that things are cracking and breaking right now. And we are in a war. We are in many wars, actually, on ideology, ways like what is happening it's Iran to the actually wars that like what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, but there are also wars that are happening on all the other structural ways. And I think the institutions are dying and this is affecting also the makers and creatives and everyone alike. Mm. I'm not saying that we're going to go back to individualism per se, but I think the way that like the work is going to be made and for what reasons and how it's going to be consumed and exchanged is going to change and it is changing and we can see it right now you are such an articulate person and you have empowered me from afar I was lucky enough to to come to your studio when when you first opened through our friend and it was it was an amazing experience I remember it so well you've inspired a journey for me and just seeing how you've navigated the last 10 years has been really wonderful to watch. I just want to say thank you so much for spending the time to talk to me. Natalie, it was a great (laughs) pleasure. And thank you as well for letting me be part of Cara, of your beautiful project. And now as well of the podcast, it was, I love having a chance always to talk to you. And I think we share a lot of values and ideas. So it was really, I was looking forward to it. Thank you. So you know Anna from Kana. I do. I actually went to one of her, well, not to her retreat, but she was an artist in residence at Villa Lena in Italy, in Tuscany. And me and Frankie went for a holiday there. Oh, I didn't realise Frankie was with yeah, you. Yeah, it was just us two, actually, back in the days when I was a single mother. Yeah. Um, so I took her to Villa Lena and Anna was doing one of her workshops there. So it was the first time I sort of experienced working with her and... She is obviously a wonderful teacher and I love her process of, so she makes you close your eyes when you do some of the work. And it's just so interesting when you lose your sight and you're working with clay, like the perfectionism in you can't really come out because mm. you're just literally using your senses. And after after that, actually, I bought a massive block of clay and I used to bring it out at every dinner party I'd have afterwards and like just we'd all have a few drinks and then like play with our clay, which was really... That's so fun. nice. Yeah, so she, she inspired that and... You know, that's really nice. And then I actually had her on my first workshop for On Balance. She came and she led my members through um, like one of her classes online. Oh, she is so inspiring. And she's just got this sort of elegance to her. I loved the phrase, fill up my cup. Yes. There's something about the way she said it. I just thought, oh, I'd really like to think about how to fill up my cup. It just sounded so ritualistic and meditative or something. Yeah, she she has such a wonderful awareness of herself and her craft and her art. And that comes across when you speak to her one-to-one, but definitely in your conversation. And just hearing how she has recognized that her business has got to a level where she was now responding rather than being able to be proactive and create again. And she was just responding to demand, which she appreciated as a privilege because it means she's so busy, but also it lost the essence from which it began. Mm. I found that really interesting thinking about the dialogue between art and response mm. and which comes first. Yeah. And I really appreciated her honesty on mm. the reflections around her business mm. and how much she's considered her business and that she has taken time to stop. Because I think it's so easy to just, once you're in this and things 
look like they're doing really well and you're busy because you know we all want to be busy in terms of careers because if you're busy it means things are going in the right direction supposedly but that now she's thinking about taking a sabbatical but I did find it interesting hearing well what is sabbatical to you because a sabbatical to her is very different probably to others yeah and I think the the thing with Kana that I've always noticed anyway is she seems to be incredibly self-reflective as a person and then obviously as she was saying her work is so self-reflective so when you're working with Clay it's an opportunity for self-reflection so yeah being able to have recognized that it slipped away into something that she no longer was necessarily aligned with anymore it it feels quite radical in a world that where as you said once you get successful a lot of the time people just want to keep that success but she has been bold enough to go this is no longer aligned I was a trained artist that's what she studied you know and that's what she wants to do so working out how to move forward with that I think is a really bold and brave move and really nice to hear and it's totally inspiring as well that she has done it you know she's taken this business and molded it again through another phase Mm. what she was saying about filling up her diary as well suddenly she looked at her diary and she felt that she could see her entire year in front of her and that's such a claustrophobic feeling because it's Mm. like if you are a very creative person suddenly well where's the time for me to be creative Mm. I guess she had crossed the threshold from being an artist and a creative into being a business owner and not a factory but a small production center which as she said was scheduled out in the calendar yeah and you know that must have felt incongruent with who she is at heart and I guess taking that time now to reflect and move forward in a different way and I also loved that I loved that I'll tell you what I really loved was hearing how her ceramics were born how her ceramics Mm. business came about and like how interesting like the turns that life can take us on and if we're willing to explore them where it can take us Mm. you know if at that point when people were drinking coffee from those cups that she had made just for the purpose of drinking in her studio and if if she had said I'm not going to do that you know what, what where would, where, she where be would now? her route be yeah and, and I'm not saying it would be better or worse but it's just so interesting the sort of turns we can take on yeah. our on our journeys if someone said to you okay you've got a year off everything will still stay the same but you can just take a year out and have a sabbatical what do you think you would do do I have children <laughs> yes everything is still the same but the kids are in childcare <laughs> just to be specific here <laughs> It talks well, about you my could take levels. them all. You could take them all out and all go travelling for a year, for example. Yeah, no, no. Um, so they're in full-time childcare. I'm, I'm okay, going to go, gonna with, go that. with that. Yeah. Um, I would do a a degree, a degree <laughs> in philosophy. Would you? One hundred percent. Yeah, I would. I would love to do that. I did philosophy A level. Oh, gels with Keith Maslin Mason. Keith Mason <laughs> made a big impact on you <laughs> yeah um, I loved it it yeah. was really good you didn't want to pursue it further I chose art instead yeah. what would you do oh, well you're, you're sort I'm of sort of on one, one now because yeah. I was thinking when I was listening to the conversation I wondered if it had sparked anything in you just talking to Kana and how she's sort of handling the transition in her career it did make me feel like she was holding my hand slightly you know she has got that sort of personality that feels so grounded and so sure sure but not in any kind of cocky way I love that she doesn't put herself in any kind of fixed box she seems to be very explorative with her art as well and you know moving into more sculpture again getting back to what she was doing originally I guess from art school but also then adding the film element I think it sounds very freeing that she has that all open to her. Reflecting on how her business started and the sense of self that she has is that if someone had said to me about something that I was making, oh, it's got a real childlike quality to it. We can't buy things like that. I mean, that would have just probably made me go, well, I can't do it then. But yeah. she, that was her authenticity and something about the way she was making. Mm. And she just kept going with it. And then it became this huge movement. Yes. Just having the courage to kind of follow certain paths or feelings or beliefs or creativity. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's really interesting that you said that. And I think it's about, isn't it? It's about keeping our blinkers on when we're trying to create. And I think having that sense of self that she clearly has and that ability to just not be influenced by what others think to any degree in which it would stop her. Perhaps she reflected upon it. And then came back to, well, no, this is how I 
I'm inspired. This is what I want to make. And, you know, that sort of real sureness. And I think the way we can all find more of that is just by putting our blinkers on. I'll keep saying it, mm. you know, just not comparing ourselves by digging deeper into what feel when something feels easy and good and in flow for us. That's probably what we should be doing. If something feels hard and we're like looking at others and we're finding it like stressful and, you know, it doesn't come easily, then perhaps that's not necessarily the right route either and also what she was creating was rooted in her values so Mm -hmm. her background in fair trade um connection with the land tradition slowness yeah Yeah. i loved the way she described how she felt as being a guardian of things that are running out i love that too the fact that she started creating things rooted in in those values Mm -hmm. gave that purpose to her work yeah yeah exactly thank you yeah no worries just thought fi- we're finishing each other's sentences now so we're, just... we're just one and the same we are just Natalie <laughs> <laughs> I like that the way her work seems to be moving or at least what I got from that conversation is that she will continue to be hosting these retreats because I will 100% be going on one of them over the next few years I would I have to and I love the idea where she real when she was describing how she realized when people would come in and do one of her classes in her studio in London I've done one after work as well before and they come in with all this their stuff and yes yeah. they might be able to put it down for a second to play with the clay and to do something interesting but then they would be going back to their stuff straight afterwards where she realized that if she was to take people away from their environments and curate this wonderful sort of multi-dayed retreat that they could go so much deeper and sort of get much more profound effect and it isn't just an art practice it becomes a self-reflective practice and I think you know that's I already wanted to go on one of her retreats but that just made me want to go even more yeah yeah can we go yes let's go together next year you were trying to find a retreat this year how did you get on one Mm. half of me wanted to look for a health retreat the most boring thing yeah but I have done a a seven-day juice fast Retreat. retreat before and although it sounds desperately Terrifying. tedious, mm. I did love it. What did you love about it? Pushing my body like that was quite interesting. So I was thinking about doing that, but then I thought, no, I want some. I want some more. I want nourishing of a different kind. I really felt a need to fill for your a, cup. Yes, exactly. And so I was looking for creative retreats, and of course, I would have gone on one of. Anna's but unfortunately with with the children it the the dates didn't work so next year I also loved when she was talking about that intersect when art becomes a functional object and how art exists within the home and I I also love that as an idea and I I always think things should be lived in and around Mm. I'm not a I'm not very precious about things like I want them to exist and be used and be loved and to be viewed or to be sat on or whatever they are and I loved hearing her views as an artist on that yeah and using something as a doorstop for example rather than displayed on this plinth you Mm. know to be adored Mm. so interesting hearing about how the business developed in terms of trend as well and it was slipping into the food styling sector that is what elevated her and her products Mm. I thought that was quite interesting so a a stylist may have used it in a photo shoot and then it got put in the Guardian food supplement yes and then oh that's a nice place and then someone else buys it and then there we are her plates they're used at OSIP and the food on those sort of organic plates that are handmade I feel like the food especially OSIP style of food, which is very fine dining, just sings from those plates more so than it ever would from like a perfectly round, flat white plate. Yeah, I think they were actually even offcuts. They weren't actually made the for bits. him. They're the broken bits, Yeah, which is even nicer. Yeah, yeah, she has also made some bits for him. But yeah, I, I just think her, her plates particularly, food looks incredible on them. And you're both from Slovenia? No, my dad is Serbian, which was part of former Yugoslavia, and she is from part of former Yugoslavia, Um, but she grew up in Slovenia. Mm. Um, I've only spent a small amount of time in Serbia, and I don't even speak the language, but hearing, you know, I've definitely recognised the more you know as she said like mending your things growing your food living a slower life is was very much part of life in Serbia as well and that sort of beautiful art of living really which we don't have so much over here 
is something I would have loved to have connected with more. And actually like hearing her speak about her connections to Slovenia did make me feel a bit of grief that I don't have that deep connection to that side of my family. And mm. it's something I've been exploring recently. Just another coaching client didn't speak the language of her, one of her parents. And she's recently embarked on learning that language in adult life to wow. be able to connect with her family like that. And it really made me think, wow, that is something I would love to do. I feel very Serbian, but I don't really know what that even means. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, yes, lovely. It was really interesting to hear about her, you know, growing up in that sort of environment, that socialist environment and how that inspired her to live the way she does. Mm. Really beautiful. What is Serbian food? Do you know much about Serbian food? I know a little bit about it and I definitely have like cravings for certain dishes. It's I guess there are similarities between Serbian food and Turkish food. It's probably a good uh -huh. way of saying how, how it maybe tastes they do things like um sarma which is pickled cabbage leaves with um rice and mince wrapped oh yeah that's sorry delicious that sounds amazing yeah maybe that's one way you could uh connect more with your with the food yeah food yes absolutely. i'll come around for that meal please all right then good one again another person we've spoken to talking about giving yourself time to play. I feel like literally every single episode, we seem to be talking about that. Well, that's on your agenda at the moment. So there's, there you go. It's that's what you're hearing. big on my vision setting. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Like I said in the workshop the other day, taking time to play with myself. <laughs> Brilliant. But like, like I said in the workshop that we were doing the other day, which I was leading, the quality of our doing depends upon the quality of our being. So as an artist, you know, if she's not having that time to be, to just be, to explore, to play, to like just have fun and create for creating sake, the things that she's going to be doing won't be as brilliant. You know, if she's just doing, 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 yeah. it's never going to be as sort of enjoyable or... Um, reach the potential it could reach if she actually you know if we take that time out to really think about the quality of our being yeah mm. and give ourselves a chance to fail a few times oh see God, what yeah. happens absolutely i did land her with a pretty big question at the end which and she i answered felt it amazingly. i know and i just wanted to jump in the conversation at that point because i agreed with like everything she said at the end in terms of the way our world is moving I was quite pleased with what she, I mean very depressed about what she was saying but what I mean is the death of it of the big institutions mm -hmm. was quite like oh this is interesting where where could that go mm. well it's already crumbling the, you know the systems that we have built around us in late capitalism are struggling to exist and are crumbling around us and as Brené Brown says, the last battle is normally the bloodiest. And it really feels like that oh, at the moment. God, that's a but good... I, yeah, but I feel if we can get through it and if we can... For me, the ideal is living more in a community way. So like mm -hmm. sort of food sharing, like, you know, living in a smaller radius because mm -hmm. everything's gone so... Globalisation is sort of something that has impacted in positive ways, but also has had an incredibly negative effect as well on the whole and I wonder whether we're going to be moving back towards a slightly more community way of living and yeah. I'm down for it have you ever done anything with clay have you ever played properly with clay or gone to any classes I did one at Birch you know oh, the, yes, the yes yeah. I did one but it was like half an hour so not really I'd like to have a go at sculpture for outdoors oh yeah have you been to the Louisiana Museum in Copen just outside of Copenhagen no got a couple of amazing sculptures in and out, out outdoors basically which also made me think when I'm older I will yeah. become a sculptor I do like the idea of just having a room and being covered in dusty overalls and clay hands making stuff Ada is such a great example of seeing the beauty in life and how to take that visual imprint as mm. she described um, and incorporate it into what you're doing and very inspiring mm. I also love the sense of responsibility she has within her work and how when she started how she took on those responsibilities of being you know sustainable and thinking about all best practices and working in a way that was regenerative rather mm. than preserving yes mm. yeah um this is the last episode is it of season one. Oh gosh, that's sad. Do we have a leavers party? Is that Baddington <laughs> House? Do we have an end of end of season summer party? Do we have a company summer party? I think we should have one, yeah. definitely. Um, I don't feel like this is going to be goodbye though. Well, let's see. 
Let's see. Yeah. Thank you so much, Natalie, for, is it six episodes? I think it's six, maybe seven episodes I've done. Thank you so much for sharing everything. Thank you for having me. I've really like, yeah, a bit of joy in my week coming and having these chats. I'm going to miss them over the summer, but hopefully see you in the autumn. (laughs) 